We're in the fourth week of a message series, taking a look at who we are. It was about 20 years ago here at Nativity, we struck out on a different path because we believed that what we were doing wasn't working. So we set out to de develop a deliberately different culture and way of doing church. As a result, not immediately, certainly not easily, but eventually and with effort, we saw God's blessing in terms of health and growth. So in the course of this series, we're looking at some of the essential elements of our culture, what we value as a parish. These are things we either put a little more emphasis on than perhaps other Catholic parishes do, or things we think have been lost in Catholic culture that need to be restored, or things we've discovered that just work well elsewhere. We decided to do this series at this time because we're meeting so many new individuals and families joining us here on Ridgely Road and online who started attending Nativity Online during COVID. We think this series will be a helpful introduction for them. At the same time, we hope this will be a welcome refresher for parishioners who have been around for a while, bringing perhaps some new insights as well on why we do what we do. We've covered a, a few topics already in the course of this series. We looked at our emphasis on Scripture because to know God's Word is to know God. We talked about how we strive to keep things simple. We have a simple mission, a simple vision, an entirely simple strategy for helping people grow deeper in their faith. You can read about mission, vision, and strategy on our website. Last week, we looked at our focus on the lost. The lost, that's what Jesus called people who are far from God and the family of faith. Today, we want to look at something fundamental to our Catholic faith, something that is frequently lost sight of, too. We celebrate this event every single Sunday, but it's easily forgotten Monday through Friday. So we're going to look at a passage from Luke's gospel that takes place the final week of Jesus' life. Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly on Palm Sunday. Cheering crowds welcomed him. His popularity fueling the jealousy of the Jewish authorities who see him as a threat to their power. So they work together to have Jesus either discredited before the crowds or arrested by the Romans. Eventually, they got both. So towards this end, on multiple occasions, they tried to lure him into debates designed to trip him up and trap him, questions that were impossible to answer without alienating one group or another. And each time, Jesus easily outwitted them. One of these groups were called the Sadducees. Luke tells us some of the Sadducees came forward, those who deny that there is a resurrection. So the Sadducees, religious party that denied there's life after death. The Sadducees taught when you're dead, you're dead. I guess that's why they were sad, you see. 
Sorry, old joke. Often these guys would debate the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the opposition party, who did believe in the resurrection. Here, the Sadducees are looking to score a double victory, discredit Jesus and prove their point. So they come forward to test Jesus with a hypothetical situation in which a woman married a man who had six brothers. He died without children. Jewish law required that his oldest brother take the childless widow as his wife. In their absurd hypothetical, he dies too. And so does each of the remaining brothers after marrying the widow and failing to produce any children. So, if there is a heaven, the Sadducees facetiously ask, whose wife will she be? The question is meant to unmask the absurdity of the very idea of heaven for the Sadducees. Jesus struggles not at all in dismissing their seemingly impossible question. Jesus said to them, the children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Jesus' answer is simple. There is no marriage in heaven. That will come as a relief to some. Marriage is a covenant until death do you part, but it does end when one of the spouses passes. So this legal question that the Sadducees raise is irrelevant. Jesus goes on. They can no longer die, for they are like angels. They are the children of God. They are the ones who will rise. Jesus says that people who attain the resurrection of the dead are like angels. That doesn't mean we become angels because angels are pure spirit. Resurrection means a bodily resurrection. In heaven, you will have a resurrected body. But we will be like angels in that we will be immortal. The children of God, the sons and daughters of God will rise from the dead. That is our faith. We will be victorious over death. A more literal translation calls us the children of the resurrection. I love that, the children of the resurrection. That's, that's us. Jesus concludes, that the dead will rise, even Moses made known in the passage about the bush when he crawled out, Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. The Sadducees accepted the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, as divinely inspired. So to reinforce his, his point, Jesus refers back to the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. When God called Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt, he referred to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And while each of those men had died long, long ago, God is still their God. They continued their relationship with him because God is God of the living. The passage ends like this. Some of the scribes said in reply, teacher, you have answered well. And they no longer dared to ask him anything. And Jesus not only quiets the Sadducees and emerges victorious over them, he even wins over some of his antagonists. You know, every single time 
we celebrate Mass. The passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is made present again. That's what the Mass is about. It's Jesus' victory made present for us. A representation, a celebration of Jesus' victory over sin and death once and for all and forever. On Good Friday, it looked like Jesus had lost and been totally defeated by his enemies. What could be a bigger sign of failure than the cross? But Easter Sunday showed that even death couldn't defeat him. And we're children of that truth. We're children of the resurrection. Unfortunately, some churches and church people don't exactly communicate that they really believe that. That was true here for sure in some ways. Sometimes serious and solemn came across as sad or mad. I was guilty of that. An emphasis on rules and rubrics and laws and legalism didn't contribute to the celebration either. But it wasn't just here. A defeatist attitude has sometimes crept into Catholic thinking in lots of places in lots of ways, that life is only to be endured, that the culture is only to be resisted and rejected, that parish is only all about what we're against. I call it the circle the wagons approach to faith. And more recently, as parishes increasingly are consolidating and even closing, there's a sense of inevitable decline, defeat, death. And that is not very attractive. The reality is that nobody wants to join a losing team. Sure, you'll cheer for the Ravens when they're winning, but when they're losing, not so much. It's the same for everything in life. It's the same for church. And a lot of our culture and some of the media look at church as a club for losers. And part of the fault for that lies with church people. Winning and succeeding, on the other hand, they're contagious. They're attractive. They're irresistible. We naturally want to be a part of it. And that desire is natural in us because it's put in our hearts by God. It's a reflection of our Savior, what our Savior has done for us, what he's won for us. It's about God bringing his victory and his accompanying grace and favor into your life, really living the reality of Scripture's promise. Scripture promises us that surely God's goodness and kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Living in victory means knowing God has a purpose and plan for my life. Living in victory means that while you and I have our faults and flaws and failures, God isn't done with us. God isn't done with us yet. We're his workmanship, and he's fashioning us into the person, the man or the woman he wants us to be. Living in victory means taking to heart Paul's words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does that mean we don't encounter sin, setbacks, and struggles? Of course not. But we also know that by Jesus' promise and power, we can rise from the ashes of any temporary defeat 
Our problems and pain can be opportunities to see again that God can come through for us. It's true, we all struggle with this. We can all grow in our understanding of the victory we have in Christ. So, to help you out this week, we've put together a reading list of relevant scripture verses. Text VICTORY to 88877. That's VICTORY to 88877 and receive the PDF in your email. Then, throughout the course of the week, take some time to read and reflect on those verses. Memorize some of them. Memorize them so that you can repeat them back to yourself. When you do, you'll be speaking victory into your life. You know, the church is the winning team, and that's us. We're on the winning team, and everything we do here serves and celebrates the victory we have in Christ. Giving, serving, getting into a small group, our care for one another, our missions and service projects, the fun we have in our kids and student programs, the fun we have here in big church sometimes, and of course, the celebration of the sacraments. That's what we do. We celebrate the sacraments. There are all ways in which we participate in Christ's victory. But more than just participation, we have to reflect that victory. Each of us and all of us together as children of the resurrection should be convincing, compelling ambassadors for victory. This past week, we said goodbye to parishioner Paige Gravis, who died after a long illness at the age of 51, leaving behind seven children and stepchildren. By all accounts, she was joyful, faith-filled, and fun, despite her struggles with her health, as well as other serious personal setbacks. In planning her own funeral, she insisted that it be a a celebration. People sometimes say that, and sometimes it can seem forced, but this felt quite right and very real. Certainly, the funeral was sad and the circumstances tragic, but it was a celebration. It was a celebration because at its heart, in her heart, there was faith in the resurrection. We're all going to die. Paige showed us what it means to be a child of the resurrection. had a strong faith, but I did not have a church that aligned with that faith or allowed me to grow in faith. And a friend invited me to Nativity during a particularly stressful time in my life, but I did not go. I was not ready to receive the word of the Lord fully at that time in my life until another challenge occurred. And I remembered what she said, that I would love it at Nativity. I would love the music. I would love Father White and the way that he taught. And I remembered and I came. And from the time that I came in through the door and how I felt welcomed and I just quietly took a private little seat over on the right-hand side, and as soon as the music began, 
I cried because I knew I had felt my home. And since then, I have been able to grow in that faith. I have been able to turn toward the Lord and allow Him to direct my life, to listen and to follow. Then I was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. And thank goodness I had listened to the call before because it helped me in dealing with that diagnosis. And my first reaction when the doctor told me was, am I going to die? And I had an experience where I sat outside by our pool, the warm weather on my shoulders, it was May, and I cried and cried and, and looked up to heaven and asked, Jesus, why? But knowing I wouldn't get an answer, but trusting, as soon as I trusted, as soon as I said, I put this in your hands, I trust you. I don't feel like I'm finished on this earth yet, but I trust you. The relief that it gave me was incredible. And the path that it put me on to healing, to taking care of myself physically, emotionally, spiritually, was what I needed. And coming to Nativity and having the relationship with Jesus Christ and building that relationship with Jesus Christ is why I am here. I believe